from the flight deck. I'm Captain Michael Wilson, your communications chair, along with Captain George Maladzi, the system scheduling chair, and Captain Andy Riggs, the vice chair of the negotiating committee. Today, we're talking about next steps four and what all that entails. And we'll just jump right in with a quick question to Andy. Andy, 3D in pay is for unaugmented duty periods. Can you talk about what's coming up in the next steps for with the 10 hours of pay? Sure, Michael. It's uh, 3D6, and that's for long duty day ad pay. That's for unaugmented duty periods in excess of 10 hours. A pilot will be paid ad pay on a one-to-one -one basis for any duty time in excess of 10 hours, and that's based on the greater of the scheduled or actual duty time. So an example, if a pilot is scheduled for a nine-hour duty day, and because of maintenance or misconnects or reassignments or what have you out on the out on the line, uh, they end up on an 11-hour duty day that day. Uh, they would be entitled to one hour of ad pay because uh, they overflew the 10-hour threshold there uh, by one hour. So on a one-to-one -one ratio, they get one hour of ad pay. Uh, a different example would be if a pilot was scheduled for a 12-hour duty day and they lost flying or were reassigned um, and they ended up on a nine-hour duty day, that pilot would also be entitled to long duty day ad pay of two hours because they're originally scheduled for more than 10 hours of duty uh, by two hours. So they still are entitled to that pay. You know, one of the, one of the things in this particular uh, section of the new UPA is the new plan of putting examples in there uh, for a pilot to really truly understand this. 5E7, George, is reserve schedule construction during a monthly scheduling preference. Can you give me an idea as we talk about how to break up in global reserve how you might have your schedule of blocked days off switched or broken up sure michael absolutely so one of the new provisions that was negotiated is 5e7d and this provision allows global reserves to split their allocation of hdos into two blocks in pbs there was a very high focus in quality of life improvements from the scheduling side particularly uh, for reserves as well as line holders. And this example with the global reserves, as of uh, the January bid period for February, the global reserves will now have the option to use a wave command in PBS. And when they introduce this wave command, they'll have the option to take what was traditionally a six day block of HDOs and they can split those into two blocks. So they can take the opportunity to, whether it's that maybe anniversary uh, weekend, and perhaps there's another one for graduation in a month, or you know, two unique opportunities you wanna have those HDOs applied to, you can now uh, have the opportunity to apply those in two different areas. Now, a few rules with that, when it comes to HDOs, you can split them. They can be multiple combinations. You can split them to four and two, three and three, uh, two and four for the inverse, whatever you, you so prefer. However, the one thing that cannot be done is you cannot split it down to a single HDO. So you always have to have at least two. Uh, and for anyone who happens to have GDOs on their schedule, remember GDOs are, we can think of those in the same context in a global reserve line as an HDO, they'll follow the same rules. You can adjoin your HDOs to them, you can split your HDOs off, but uh, the overarching takeaways, you can never have more than two sets of HDOs and the minimum length will be two. So a good preferencing is you use that that wave command uh, and we'll just stay with you, George. And I'm going to go a little bit out of order in and uh, just to come back to this. We have 13 uh, different provisions that are coming uh, active during this next step four. 
and then we have some Guam provisions. So let me jump ahead one deal to 5G2 and talk about minimum pay provisions. And can you give me an understanding of how this uh, affects pairing construction? Absolutely, Michael. And again, uh, a very high focus on quality of life, particularly for our, our line pilots and the schedules that they fly. Every single month, uh, for those of you who are not familiar, there is a pairing review process that occurs with the local scheduling committees throughout uh, the entire system. And there's individuals perform a, a review and analysis of the pairings flown at the local level, and it's otherwise known as the onerous pairing process. And that feedback is, is paramount for us to understand not only perhaps uh, some close-in changes that we can request, however, the opportunity to get some, some larger feedback is what are some systemic issues we need to, to take a look at. That was really the driver behind several changes that we'll find and we'll discuss here today regarding trip construction in the new UPA. Particularly one of them was the change from M5D to M515D. Well, certainly there's a, a compensation component to that, when it comes to trip construction, we actually found that this significantly improved not just the efficiency of the trip build, however, the overall inherent uh, trip mix distribution. So all these improvements kind of come together. But when it comes to M515, we found that for the person that's showing up to work for, let's say it's a two-day trip or a three-day trip, not only is that trip going to be more efficient, but with the other protections, it'll still remain uh, commutable or have the inherent traits we all enjoy, but it will also carry a little bit more efficiency on the backside. And just to to bump up against something, I think it's current book that uh, to be paid if you're extended into that day off, you're not paid for that 515 if you return before the 4 a.m. Is that the 0400, correct? That is correct. All right. So as as we talk about that, uh, then we can go backwards into the contract a little bit here into 5E10, which is all night flying restrictions. And there's quite a few restrictions that we put on uh, the company on what they can do with us as we fly all night in our rest periods there. Absolutely, Michael. And around the, in the area of the EPA known as 5E10, and there was a significant amount of effort that was put into this, I would say this and a few other areas, really core to addressing what we referred to just a few moments ago as the onerous pairing feedback that we received. We certainly know uh, there's kind of two things that we can count on. In, in the not just the United, but I would say almost in, in any large uh, North American carriers world, that is one that we fly 365 days a year. And unfortunately, two, that there are times at which we're going to have to fly on the backside of the clock or within that all night flying window. So, but how do we address that? How do we, you know, to the extent possible, make that kind of flying less fatiguing, uh, put some protections around it? And that was what kind of the genesis of developing uh, these new new provisions in there. The first one was to expand the window for all night flying. So the new window is now from 0115 to 0444. And on top of that though, so if you have to fly within this window, which is now expanded, so thought differently, you can now touch it much more easily based on what you're flying. There's some additional protections. And these protections include, for example, there is a single leg limitation when flying within this duty period. There's also a requirement to have 16 hours and 45 minutes free from duty prior to that ANF. And post ANF, we put some additional restrictions in place when there's less than 16 hours of rest after you finish that leg. So for example, if it's a single segment, your maximum duty period is nine hours. And if it's two segments, it's six hours. And this is to provide the opportunity 
One, uh, for, for folks that have a, a longer um, segment on that last day getting home, that, that commutable leg that cuts back and gets them back on the same day, it drives efficiency, but also it ensures that if you do have to work after that ANF and you're not receiving your 16 hours of rest, it's a less fatiguing, what we call less onerous uh, trip for you to operate. So as I understand it, and, and sticking with uh, the quality of life uh, provisions that we did in this new UPA, a pilot is able to waive this in a preferencing. Is that correct? Uh, no, they're not. Yeah, th this is pre-built trip construction. So the, these provisions are going to be built in. Think of it as a framework. So when, when you bid within PBS and you're looking at these trips, it's those inherent trip qualities that we're protecting that come right out of the gate. Uh, within that pairing package or that that trip packet that you review on CCS and look over when you've been in PBS. So no, you will not be able to to wave yourself into a more fatiguing scenario because these are all protected within the trip that you're flying. Keeps you protected. And George, on section 11E3, I understand there is some uh, vacation referencing that's coming. Michael, yes, absolutely. A little bit of a small win in this area, however, uh, an important thing to note. And we'll encourage everybody when annual vacation bidding opens for the 24-25 uh, uh, annual process, please make sure to read the vacation bidding guide. That'll be updated by the SMEs from the SSC that oversee that process, and they'll talk about this new provision. So 113 now allows a pilot to preference a minimum number of vacation periods. Think of that as weeks uh, in, in simple terms between any two awarded vacation periods in a cycle. So depending on where your seniority lies and how you bid, oftentimes, particularly for our junior pilots in the ranks, they don't have as much choice as the senior pilots consume most of the more popular vacation periods. However, what they'd like to do is avoid having all their vacation uh, by the solver uh, when, it, when it gets to a point of having limited choices to choose from, pile them all up in one contiguous block. So what this does is there's going to be a preference option. It'll be a checkbox that the uh, the pilot will be able to choose in their CCS uh, vacation bidding environment. And then they can select the minimum number of vacation periods they would like to have between any two awarded vacation periods. So this will allow uh, to the extent that there's sufficient inventory remaining, even in the junior ranks, and we're talking about perhaps some of the, the less desirable slots, to ensure that there is some time between those vacation periods and are spread out across uh, multiple weeks or vacation periods. So we can look for that new vacation guide as we get ready to start the vacation bidding here in January. Absolutely. So sticking with you, George, in 20C, the monthly schedule preferencing timeline has changed. There's been a shift to a little bit earlier in the month. Can you talk to me about how that works and what the dates are? Absolutely, Michael, and this is one of the more significant achievements uh, in the EPA with regards to PBS because the pilots' voices were certainly heard loud and clear that they would like not only quality life improvements to their schedules, but they'd like to get those schedules received as soon as possible. They would like to have their schedules uh, in hand so they can plan those important family events, um, and you know whether it could be a kids' soccer game or you know an important graduation you have to go to, whatever it may be. But the importance of getting schedulers uh, schedules, excuse me, sooner uh, was a high priority item. So to that end, we have a new PBS bidding uh, timeline. Think of it in uh, for now as everything moving forward by two days. So currently, we open PBS bidding on the six at seventeen hundred central, and we close it on the twelfth at ten o'clock central. 
in the current EPA and what we'll deploy in the January bid period bidding for February schedules is that we will now open up bidding at 1700 central as we currently do. However, this will occur on the fourth of each month and it will close at 0800 central on the 10th of the month. Now, there's an important piece of 20C1 that also talks about how captains will close on the 10th at 0800 and the first officers on the 11th. So within those two particular parameters, there'll be a slight separation of implementation. So the immediate turnaround in January is everybody will close captains and first officers on the 10th at 0800. And then once the new PBS system is implemented, which that current estimation is towards the fall of 2024, immediately after we have implemented the new reserve types, the new system can technically support allowing the first officers to have their bidding extended by one more day, and it will close on the 11th at 0800. And some additional enhancements. While we're talking PBS, Michael, do you mind if I kind of keep going on a roll here? We'll talk about some of the other inclusions for LPAs and G-lines and things like that. Absolutely. No, keep rolling, because my very next question was 20C5, which is the LPA. Please continue. One, well, let, let's keep on that roll here. Um, so what we'll also talk about is some additional um, improvements in PBS. Again, very, very significant, not just getting scheduled sooner, not just the ability to, to bid and receive that award sooner, but under the, the prior EPA, there was a lot of consternation around the ability for absences to be updated on the 10th and the resultant change to the LPAs, the line construction ranges, the G line, you know, and thought of differently. A lot of folks would put some, some hard earned effort on their days off or their layovers into constructing a very detailed uh, PBS bidding strategy, only to have some of these parameters change in the 10th, sometimes meaningfully and have all those efforts mooted. So to that end now, when PBS opens on the fourth of each month, the line production average, the G lines, the line construction ranges, they're all going to be locked in, which is a significant improvement. So you'll now have your entire bid window available to you. Your efforts will be locked into a, a static steady state um, and there'll be no change. Now, the one caveat to that we're gonna put out there is as with anything in life, you know, you can always have the occasional, um, you know, curveball or hiccup that occurs. So there is a section that we will note, and that is in 20C5B. So what that talks about is a subsequent update to the LPA and G line. However, there's certainly some what we'll call some guardrails around when this can occur. So what that says is no later than 1700 on the fifth of the month, the company may update the LPA G line or additionally, the number of long call reserves, voluntary early checks, voluntary short calls, and so forth, due to an unforeseen change in flying for that category. That's the important caveat. There's one thing we'll focus in on as we're kind of reviewing this UPA section, it's unforeseen change in flying for the category. What this means is, let's say, for example, something went wrong in the initial uh, load from uh, the pairing file over into PBS on the fourth when bidding opened. And when bidding opens, everyone takes a look and like, wow, all of a sudden, all of the 737 categories have Airbus pairings. Okay, some kind of a technical snafu. It's certainly not desirable. We need to do something about that. What this provision allows is for that update to occur only for that those categories that are affected. So differently, in the under the prior EPA, all categories would be updated for bidding. Under this new one, everything locks in on the fourth and only if this unforeseen circumstance occurs and only for the individual categories that are affected, can the G-liner parameters be updated. 
And kind of the, the last little follow into that that we've received a few questions about is, well, what about absence changes, things that occurred under the, the prior UPA and things that could be updated? None of that language has changed as far as the ability after previously we lock in on the 10th of the month. Now we're going to lock in right at bid opening. There's still tolerances that are available. So to the extent that, let's say, there's a change to someone's recurrent training, military leave, uh, family leave, whatever it may be, um, so long as that change can be accommodated within the afforded tolerance for that line production average for that category, um, those can be considered for accommodation. Uh, but again, they, they still require the, the mutual consent uh, with the pilot and the company and so forth, as we have under the, the prior UPA and the current UPA. Awesome. So the really the visual part of this is the pilots are not going to go in there on the 10th of every month and see a new updated G line parameter. That they've been used to seeing in the. Uh, in PBS. Absolutely. This is the big one. No, no more text caster alerts in the tent telling you to go in there and check everything. You now get to open up on the fourth. What you see is what you get. And unless something is a, an unforeseen circumstance or that causes uh, some flying to go sideways, you get to enjoy uh, not only receiving your schedules earlier, bidding earlier, but having uh, a static environment the whole time available to you. Awesome. Andy, uh, bring you into the conversation here. 20F is the assignment or reassignment after the loss of flying. And it has a Pretty good amount of uh, restrictions here on the company, what the company must go through to uh, reassign you and what happens to you then. Yeah, so we we clarified a few things uh, and and laid some framework for our pilots to have a little bit more flexibility on the pilot side uh, when they have fly and cancel uh, at the beginning of their trip. So when a pilot loses their full trip or the originating segment of a trip and they've already reported for that flying, the company will have a limited time frame to exercise one of the repair options under 20F1B. The time limit the company must adhere to will be determined from a color-coded, what we call hub status of that base. The color code for that particular base will be viewable on the main page of Flying Together. It's titled the Weather ATC Alert Status. It's usually on the bottom right-hand side, it's a map of the United States that you can see. And there's icons on that map that display the color-coded weather alerts for each base. Uh, when when a base is color-coded green, the company will have one hour to exercise one of the options, and that'll be extended to two hours if the color code is gray or yellow, and it'll be three hours for the company to make their decision if it's red or blue. Uh, the original UPA, uh, they had a two-hour limit there. Uh, so in the majority of cases, uh, one hour uh, will be used for green, so it'll be a decrease of one hour. If a pilot wants to know how often a hub is in those specific color-coded categories, then they can view the monthly SSC report. And there's a, uh, a page in there that shows hub status uh, by day. And you can see historically, looking back to the beginning of when SSC reports were produced, how often a hub is in green, yellow, white, uh, gray, blue. And, and the big thing here to note, and we talked about this at the road shows is, this is something that is not easily manipulated by the individual crew scheduler or the crew desk itself. This is a decision made by the network operations center. There's implications when they go into certain of these hub colors as far as what happens to our passengers, as far as finances that get released, uh, as far as refunds or change fees, uh, things of that nature that change for our passengers. So this is something that people are accountable to. Uh, there's a log that the network managers must maintain uh, so they can't turn a hub, for example, uh, red or yellow, and just leave it there for a couple of days. They require uh, hourly updates to that. And our network operations center uh, crew desk pilots, 
are able to log into that document and see what the status of a hub is and and help prompt uh, conversation there if something is going awry. So there's a lot of accountability built in there. And then the, the main goal there was to get our pilots released after one hour in most conditions when they lose flight. So pilots are really going to work here to start to uh, associate a color with a timeline for crew scheduling to use. Exactly. The, the idea here, uh, Michael, is if you report to the airport and something that's happened uh, and it's more individual in nature and you lose flying, and you're, the hub status will likely be green. Uh, now, if the hub is in full meltdown mode and a lot of things are happening, multiple flight cancellations, the company is going to have a little bit more flexibility there. It'll likely be very obvious to the pilot when they look at the departure screen, so they're all turning red. Uh, but really, the place to go and look is if the hub status is still showing green, you can hack a clock, and after one hour, uh, you're going to be released there. Awesome. So talking about the, the loss of flying, uh, let's stick with 20F2 and discuss the lost of segment after the originating segment of a trip. Yeah, this was this was a pretty robust uh, improvement and change in our contract. Uh, unfortunately, our, in our old contract, 20F2 had no timeline by which the company had to provide you with a reassignment. Uh, 20F2 is when you lose flying after your originating segment. Uh, this may happen at a hub, it may happen at a, at a layover station, something of that nature. Uh, but oftentimes what would happen is a pilot would lose flying and they would lose the ability to contact the crew desk because the crew desk was in meltdown mode or, or difficulty communicating with them. And we had no deadline by which the, the pilot could show themselves released and head on home. Uh, what we were able to negotiate here was a, a thorough plan uh, that both sides agreed to of how this would be handled. So at any point, if the crew desk ceases communications with the pilot and fails to uh, provide them with a legal reassignment, the further down the road they get, the fewer options they have, and the quicker a pilot is headed towards being released. So I'll cover these situations. I'll try and go fairly slowly, um, but, but this will be available in the next steps for pilots to see as well. So when a loss of flying has taken place after the originating segment of the trip, the company has two hours to make a repair to the pilot schedule. Depending, so the the color coding that we talked about up above on the on the next steps, does not apply here. Here it's two hours. They have the opportunity to make the repair of the pilot schedule. Depending on the location of the pilot and the days remaining on the trip when the loss of flying took place, that'll determine what portion of 20F2 will apply. So where the pilot is located, what we're really talking about there is, is the pilot at their base or is the pilot at a location other than their base? So a pilot will either be reassigned to other flying if given a reassignment within two hours of the loss of flying, they could be released from the trip. If the pilot is still at their base with no additional flying segments or deadheads and the reassignment did not take place within two hours of the loss of flying, they could be rejoined to their remaining flying. If there are other scheduled flight segments or deadheads that remain on the pilot schedule from that location, or they can be released to a deadhead segment if on the last day of the trip and not at a pilot's base and there are no remaining scheduled legs from that location and that reassignment did not take place within two hours. So they would, uh, lastly, they could be released to an off-duty period with an obligation to check their schedule after a specified off-duty period. And if not reassigned at that point, they would be released to go home. So if you're released to an off-duty period, the pilot would be provided a hotel room. If self-help is needed, uh, there's a method to get the self-help hotel room and to communicate where you're located for rest. But it, 
if you think of it as like a funnel, um, if the crew desk, an upside down, fun, well, I guess a right side up funnel, um, if the crew desk makes a reassignment within that initial two hours, they have the full complement of options that were available to them today under the original UPA. But the further down the road they get after that pilot has sat around for two hours, uh, released to a hotel, they have fewer options at that point. And then lastly, if the pilot wakes up the next day after that specified rest period and they don't have a reassignment, they would be released back to their base. And that, that could occur on day two of a four day. If the, if the crew desk loses you and they're in meltdown mode and the next shift in the morning doesn't do their job and reassigns you properly, you're going to be released to go home. We don't have any any more of this. You're on the hook and and they can continue flying. Definitely one of the key takeaways I, I took from this is is the learning to hack the clock for the two hour time there for crew scheduling. They've got to give you something or you're you you have those remedies that you just listed. Yeah. And the other thing there, Michael, is there's there's a timeline laid out in 20F2 where each step of the way, both sides know what their obligation is. So there's no ambiguity anymore. You know exactly where you fall in, what the company must do, what you're expected to do. And if they miss that, it's not a, hey, hey, we missed it. Please, uh, please give us a second chance or we just move on to the next phase and these are your options. And eventually the final option is only deadheading the pilot back to their base for release. Uh, Andy, we'll just stick with you here. 20K4F, uh, new provision here. Reserves shall be allowed to trade trip for trip with another reserve, of course, with company concurrence. Yeah, so this is this is new and something we receive feedback from our pilots uh, over the years here where one pilot gets assigned a trip, uh, a reserve pilot gets assigned a trip, and a couple hours later, another trip pops into open time and gets assigned to a reserve, and maybe it has a 30-hour layover in that, that first reserve's hometown, or uh, it's commutable, and the other reserve is a local and doesn't care about commutability, and they say, hey, is there any way we could swap these trips? And unfortunately, in the past, the answer has always been there's no provision for reserves to trip trade under the agreement, so there's no provision for that. Uh, going forward, reserves may now trade trips once assigned or aggressively picked up with company concurrence. Uh, the trade request must be made during the real-time window, and the trade request must also be on a trip-for-trip -trip basis. So you can't trade, uh, Michael, if you have a short call and I have a trip, you and I can't trade those assignments. If you had a trip and I had a trip, we could trade those trips uh, with crew desk concurrence, and uh, it cannot disrupt a day off in the process. So if you're a, a three-day reserve and you have a three-day trip, I can't trade you my four-day trip and then lead to a day off disruption and all that that in, in, entails. Uh, so to utilize the provision, uh, both pilots mutually agreeing to the trip trade should contact crew scheduling, and then the scheduler will then uh, manually process the trip trade request. And finally, uh, 20K9, and I just remember when I was the plug 737 captain in Chicago, and you were at the crew desk, and I was constantly getting assigned these uh, involuntary field standbys. Those go away now. Yes, yeah, so those, uh, we've, we've kind of been ratcheting this down since the UPA was signed uh, in September 29th. Uh, so as we move forward to the January bid period, beginning in the January bid period, uh, the company may no longer uh, involuntarily assign a field standby, except when converting a reserve pilot on short call to field standby. So they can still offer a field standby to a long call reserve, uh, and that's going to be purely voluntary, pay the three hours of ad pay, uh, but they cannot uh, force a pilot beginning in January to sit field standby. 
they can convert a short call to a field standby. So if there's a an aircraft that's on a long maintenance delay, we'll say on one of our global fleets, they can call the 1800 short call in Newark and say, hey, uh, we're converting you to field standby. Uh, it's, it's 1800 now. We're going to put you on field standby starting at 2100 to protect the, the late Delhi flight, for example. What they cannot do is call you uh, the day before and say, we're sending you, we're going to have you sit field standby tomorrow night to protect Delhi. And they're limited to uh, two of those going forward. So those are the common changes of next step for for all pilots. There are some Section 23 changes on fly day allocations for flight instructors and evaluators and some Guam flying that we would ask all pilots to please check the next steps for uh, documentation as it will come out soon. I appreciate your time, George. I appreciate your time, Andy. From the flight deck, I'm Michael Wilson. Have a great day.